Well, thank you to everybody who shared those scripture videos with us this morning. We might do something like that next week and in the coming weeks, so, so stay tuned for more instructions about that. Uh, it turned out really well. Romans 12 is great. Romans 12 has a lot of quotable lines in it. There's several lines in there that sounds like they could fit nicely into one of those cliched graduation speeches that you hear. Now, I've never been invited to be a graduation speaker, and I probably won't be invited this year to any graduations, if they happen. But I like to think that if I got invited, I would make a speech that's just full of corny, inspirational quotes that you've heard over and over again. It might sound something like this. Thank you for having me this morning. I want to share just a few words of wisdom that I hope will prepare you for the journey ahead. Follow your passion. If you do what you love, you never work a day in your life. Be true to yourself. If at first you don't succeed, try, try again. If life gives you lemons, well, make lemonade. You know, you miss 100% of the shots that you don't take. Also, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. After all, life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. Life is what happens to you while you're busy making other plans. Always wear sunscreen. Do it for the gram. Taste the rainbow. You only live once. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. You have brains in your head. You have feet in your shoes. You can steer yourself in any direction you choose. Everything happens for a reason. Hate what is evil and cling to what is good. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. The grass is always greener on the other side. Eat the elephant one bite at a time. You know, I only have two rules in life. Rule number one, don't sweat the small stuff. And rule number two, it's all small stuff. Time heals all wounds. And time flies when you're having fun. Time is money, and time waits for no one. If you put your mind to it, you can accomplish anything. Practice hospitality. Be excellent to each other. It's not the destination, it's the journey. It's not whether you win or lose, it's how you play the game. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. There's no use crying over spilled milk. Every cloud has its silver lining. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And all's well that ends well. Thank you so much. Did you catch all those Romans 12 lines that I put in there? See what I mean? They're concise words of wisdom. This is advice for living a full life. 
But it would be a shame for us to equate the words of the Apostle Paul with Forrest Gump and Bill and Ted's excellent adventure. They're not on the same level. Paul's words of encouragement are much more valuable, more timeless, and more of God than anything that you might hear from your average valedictorian. So there's a danger as we read Romans 12 of treating the practical instructions for Christian living as just another pep talk. But as we read Romans in reverse, we're reminded that these words were written to a certain group of people who were adjusting to their life that now had Jesus at the very center. So many aspects of their lives were changing now that Jesus became their Lord. And they were just all kind of doing their best to keep up with it. Which doing your best to keep up with change, sort of the theme for our lives of this past week. We're all just kind of going, all right, it's new. We do this now, let's, let's just figure this out and do the best we can. Well, the current of culture in Rome in the first century was very strong. And what I think Paul is trying to do in Romans 12 and 13 is teach his friends the right way to resist. Now my hope today is we'll see how that advice that he gives, the wisdom in Romans 12, leads up to address a particular situation that was happening that he talks about in Romans 13. And as we hear it and understand it, maybe we'll get an idea of what we're supposed to do with it as modern day followers of Jesus. So first he tells them in Romans 12 to resist the temptation to conform. Don't just do what everybody else is doing. Instead, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. A renewed mind leads to renewed actions that will reflect the fact that Jesus is the Lord of your life. But remember, this isn't just try harder and be a better person, but this is something that has to happen within the church in order for the church to be the church. This is something that we practice together. This week, it's kind of cool. There's been a unique opportunity this week for churches to rethink some of our typical expressions of faith, things that we've done for generations, like gathering together and worshiping on Sunday mornings and meeting together in person. We haven't been able to do those things, but it's been good because it helps us evaluate which of our actions and which of our components of being the church do we really need to hold on to and which ones we just kind of are doing, which ones could be adapted or adjusted. I've been really encouraged this week as I've heard stories from members of this church about things that they've been doing to stay connected and to continue to be the body of Christ, even though we can't be together in person. I've heard about people calling to check in on each other, people going to folks who are more high risk or who can't leave the house and buying them supplies and going and doing store runs for them. I've heard that groups that have been sharing their prayers together in person have been sharing their prayers now through email, and they've been emailing prayer requests to one another. My discipleship group that meets at my house on Wednesday nights, uh, we met this Wednesday night, but not at my house. We had a Skype video chat, and we were able to share our prayers and to check in on each other, and it was great. And many of you participated in the 24 hours of prayer uh, that was organized by Amanda and Anne and, and Sandra. We prayed as a church from noon on Wednesday until noon on Thursday, and everybody covered a 30-minute shift. Uh, the Parnells got together at 9 in the morning on Thursday, and all six of us, we prayed through the whole directory. We prayed for the congregation. We prayed for the nation. It was awesome. This church is doing amazing things, even when we can't meet together in person. 
Well, here in Romans 12, Paul encourages this kind of good deed doing and this connectedness uh, he emphasizes as well. But remember, he's also moving towards something that he wants them to know, something specific. And that thing is, once you learn how to love one another inside the church as insiders, then you need to go and practice it outside the church. He tells them to resist the urge to only show love and kindness and forgiveness to those on the inside, but practice countercultural acts of self-control and of mercy to those outside the church as well. This week, we know what it means to be insiders. We have been inside for a long time now. And some of you are probably real tired of the color of your walls, or if you're honest, maybe you're real tired of the people you live with. You want to get out, you want to get back to normal, you want to get away. But Paul reminds people here that insider training is preparing us for what we're going to do once we are released into the world. So the first part of Romans 12 gives instructions for loving actions within the church. Things like humility, service, patience, hospitality. And then, starting in verse 14, he switches over to show how you treat those people who are outside of the family. How you treat people who want to harm you. And he says things like, bless those who persecute you. Live in harmony with them. Don't be conceited. Don't repay evil for evil, even though that might be what you want to do. Live in peace with everyone. And maybe the hardest of all is don't take revenge. Don't take justice into your own hands, but re remember that God is involved and God knows what he's doing. And again, this is more than just good advice for you to tuck into your graduation robe. All of this is leading up to what he wants to tell them in Romans 13. So listen to what he says. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and you'll be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. If you do wrong, be afraid, for rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes. For the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. What's going on here? This verse is challenging. We want to understand what it says. We want to get it right, but it's been misunderstood a lot of ways throughout history. One thing we need to know is that 
in Rome at this time, there were two kinds of taxes that were collected. There was a direct tax and there was an indirect tax. Now the direct tax was the one that people expected. This is the one that came from state. It was taxed on things like agriculture and land, kind of like the taxes we pay today. And like today, maybe people didn't particularly like to have to pay their taxes, but they understood what they were for and they said, all right, I'll, I'll pay them, you know, because I have to. So the governor or the governor's employee would come to the door and they'd knock, knock, knock. Hey, you owe us those taxes, remember? And the person usually would go, okay, you're right. Here are my, here's my payment. Thanks for coming by. I'll see you next year kind of thing. But there was also an indirect tax in Rome at the time that people were not very happy about. This was purely a tax that was just for more revenue for the state. So the tax man would come to the door and this was usually someone who was contracted by the governor, somebody who would knock on your door and say, hey, the government needs more money. And people would say, well, I thought I already gave the government money. Yeah, well, they need more, so fork it over. And people didn't like that as much. And the person who was collecting these taxes would take that money and they would give a certain agreed upon amount to the government and they would pocket the rest. So it's not surprising that these tax collectors were sometimes very good at their jobs and very relentless. And it's also not surprising to know that this secondary tax during this time was wildly unpopular. It was actually the cause of a lot of riots that happened in the first century. And so when you realize this, you know that it's not surprising that the house church members in Rome would be refusing to pay this tax. A lot of people were resisting and they were refusing to pay this tax. And the Christians in Rome might have thought that they were doing something very faithful by sticking it to the man. And they would say, after all, Nero is not the Lord of my life. I don't trust or owe anything extra to Caesar. I owe my life to Jesus Christ. He's my Lord, so I'm not going to pay this tax. Well, Paul comes along and he says, that's not the right way to resist. He says it only makes life harder for this particular group of people that were already suspect. Christianity was new. It was weird. People didn't like it. Don't make things harder on yourself than they already are. Paul tells them what you ought to do in this case is respect those in authority. After all, they're servants of God. Pay your tax. This is challenging. You might not have expected Paul to say that. And like I said, throughout history, this verse has been applied in some nefarious and harmful ways. Sometimes people hear these verses and think, oh, it's pretty straightforward. You know, obey the civic authorities. You know, I'm talking about the president, the governor, the mayor, maybe any elected official. If they won the election, that must be who God wants to be in charge. That must be who is now speaking for God. That's what sometimes people assume. This has been used by dictatorships throughout history to keep people in line and from discouraging people from questioning any governmental authority. But I don't think that that's what Paul has in mind here. Think about how the words he says, like God established their authority and they are God's servants. How would those words have sounded to someone like Nero? Nero already thought that he was God. In his mind, he was the highest authority in the land and no one could tell him what to do. Paul is reminding the Christians, we know that God is the highest authority in the land and not this guy. It's kind of reminiscent of Jesus standing before Pilate in John chapter 19 and Pilate saying, 
Aren't you taking this seriously? Don't you know that I have the authority to put you to death or to set you free? And Jesus looks at him and says, you don't have any authority except that which has been given you from above. When we look at Romans 13 as a continuation of the teaching that Paul started in Romans 12, we see that Paul is saying, don't take revenge into your own hands. That applies to your taxes as well. Don't become a vigilante. That applies as well. Live in harmony with everybody. That applies to paying your taxes. And he says it's God that exacts the best revenge and not you. So your job is to not make life harder for the church than it already is. We've got to take Romans 13 with what we read in Romans 12. And if we zoom out even farther, you'll see Paul in places like Acts 16 and Acts 23 defying civic authority himself. So if we think that Romans 13 is just a carte blanche, obey all the authorities, they basically speak for God, Paul didn't think that way. That's not the example that he set for us. So maybe there's something else going on here. This is definitely a challenging time for authorities, the people who are in charge of our governments and in the, the, the laws of the land. I like to think that those who are elected, that those who have these responsibilities are doing their best. Some people's best is better than other people's best and maybe some people are not doing their best, but I'd like to think that they're trying. But at the same time, I don't recommend blind conformity to anything that is said just because some government leaders we know can be self-serving. But on the other side of it, I don't think it's wise to resist and undermine everything that somebody in authority has just because you don't like them, you don't agree with them, or they're from a different political party. But sometimes it seems like those are the only two options that the loudest voices in our media or in our culture or online are giving us. I think we need to be transformed by the renewing of our minds if we think we only have two options. This is clearly a crisis year. We also know it's an election year, even without the crisis. And so there's going to be plenty of time for us to figure out what we're supposed to do with these words of Paul. But at the heart of his message, I hear Paul telling the Roman Christians, don't make things harder than they need to be. He says, I know that you want to resist, but the right way to resist is by doing what Jesus taught, loving your neighbor, humbly but boldly speaking the truth and always keeping the kingdom in view. So the challenge that I want to leave us as a church with this week is a challenge to take inventory of your own life and maybe identify some of the well-intentioned things that you're doing for the Lord that maybe aren't actually helping the cause. What are some of the things that we think that we're doing with, with the best of intentions and we think that they're elevating Jesus, but they're actually just making things harder for people to come to know Christ. Maybe it's an ultimatum that we have. Maybe it's a, a form of thought that says it has to be this. It has to be a certain way. And maybe you're really struggling this week if you can't meet at a church building or if there's some elements of this worship that aren't like what you're used to. Maybe for you, it's the way you represent Christ on social media. Maybe if you're honest with yourself, you've become a modern day equivalent of a soapbox preacher with a megaphone screaming about how many people are going to hell. And in your mind, your theology is spot on. 
And there may even be some truth to the things that you say, but it turns out they're not actually drawing people to Jesus. This is going to be challenging because most people do a self-evaluation and go, well, I'm doing the best I can. I'm being faithful to the best of my ability. So it may be that you need to ask somebody else, hey, in what areas can I use some improvement? Or what things am I doing that I think are working for the Lord, but they actually are doing the opposite? You may need to give permission to some people in your life to be honest with you. And so right now, I want to give all of you permission for me. If there's something as a leader that I'm doing at Tri-Valley that you're like, no, 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 that's not doing what you think. You're wasting your time doing that. There's better things that you can do for the Lord. I want to know about those things. Those are blind spots from me. And I'm willing to receive them, even if they're painful or brutally honest. Lately, a lot of people have been talking about my beard. And I think everybody's being really polite. But maybe what some of you want to say is, Jacob... Your beard is gross, and it's driving away more people than it's drawing in. So I'm willing to shave my beard for the gospel. I'm willing to get a haircut once the barbershop's open. But that's the challenge. That's challenge number one, is do an inventory, find out what you're doing that maybe isn't working. The second challenge you can do as a household. You can do this with the people that you live with. And if you live alone, you can do this with the people that you're checking in with uh, on the phone or with video chats. And that is, I want you to take one of these instructions from Romans 12 and figure out how to apply it to your life corporately, not just individually. How am I going to show more hospitality? How am I going to renew my mind? But ask as a group, how are we going to do these things? How are we going to become transformed in Christ? How can the members of Tri-Valley use their gifts and abilities to bless one another, even while we're sheltering in place? And ask, what steps can we take to humbly live in harmony with our neighbors during this time? I would love to hear what you come up with, how this message has challenged you, what you find out from your self-inventory and what you discover and what you create by taking some of these Romans 12 teachings seriously. Uh, and I'd love for you to share those ideas with me. You can send me a text message. I'm going to put the contact information for all of the, the elders and, and Jacob and Justin up on the screen. You can text us. You can call us if you need anything. But also, wherever you're watching this video, if there's a, a chat uh, or comment section, feel free to post these things now or later on in this week, how you've been challenged. But I hope that this church continues to stay connected to one another. And uh, I want to close us out in prayer. Normally I would say, hey, let's stand and worship. We'd sing a song and then we'd do the prayer cards. Um, but this week I want to close in prayer, but I want somebody else to lead the prayer. So whoever you're watching this with, and if you're watching it by yourself, then that's an easy way to determine. Uh, I want you guys to elect somebody in the room to pray for our congregation, pray for the country, pray for those who are sick, pray for those who are in need, and pray that uh, the hands and feet of Jesus, the body of Christ, gets to work and does what we do best. So go ahead and lead that prayer now, uh, and we'll see you guys later.